today, I'm talking about believing in and believing on. In Acts chapter 13, we arrive at the place that from this point on, Paul's missionary journeys become the key feature of the book of Acts. He was commissioned by the leaders in the church at Antioch. Let me read it to you. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, the congregation in Antioch was blessed with a number of prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, nicknamed Niger, the black one, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, who was his stepbrother. It's not a bad position to have in the world. And Saul, or Paul. One day, as they were all praying and fasting and waiting for guidance, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I've called them to do. So, setting off on their appointed mission, they sail first to Cyprus. That's the island there in the Mediterranean. And that's where Barnabas was from. And we read earlier in Acts chapter 4, we had already read that, that Barnabas had sold some land in Cyprus and given the proceeds to the church in Jerusalem. So there, in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogue and preached. John Mark, who went with them as their assistant, was the son of the Mary that we spoke about in the last chapter. She owned the house where all the believers were praying for Peter to be released from prison. John Mark was also the nephew of Barnabas. So there's quite a network here of people with one another and for one another, and now some of them are on this journey. So afterwards, they preached from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish counterfeit prophet named Bar-Jesus. His name in Greek was Elimus, which means a wizard or a sorcerer. He'd attached himself to the Roman proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of considerable insight and understanding, who invited Barnabas and Paul to visit him. So they had a royal invitation, if you like, a Roman proconsul. Because he wanted to hear their message from God. But the sorcerer, Elimus, interfered and urged the proconsul to pay no attention to what Paul and Barnabas said, trying to stop him from trusting the Lord. And we get down to verse 9. Then Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, glared angrily at the sorcerer and said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of trickery and villainy, enemy of all that is good. Will you never end your opposition to the Lord? And now God has laid his hand of judgment upon you and you'll be stricken with blindness for a season. Instantly, mist and darkness fell upon him and he began wandering around begging for somebody to take his hand and lead him. 
When the proconsul saw what happened, he believed. That's what I'm talking about today. What does it mean to believe? And so, he was impressed and astonished at the power of God's message. It's interesting to note that Elymas, who was a Jew and a sorcerer and a false prophet, warranted the judgment of being stoned to death according to Jewish law. For some reason, most probably political, it was about who he knew, he didn't come under Jewish judgment. But he was dealt with directly from God for opposing God's message to the proconsul Sergius Paulus. So Paul sees the first fruits of the gospel to the Gentiles on this first missionary journey out to the Gentiles. And the trophy was the soul, the conversion of the Roman proconsul Sergius Paulus. So now we get down to verse 13. Paul and those with him left Paphos by ship for Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, and they landed at the port town of Perga. It's here that John Mark departs from Paul and Barnabas and returns to Jerusalem. So after he left, Barnabas and Paul went on to Antioch, another Antioch. They left from Antioch, but this is a different Antioch. This is the Antioch up in Asia Minor, a city in the province of Pisidia. And on the Sabbath, they attended the service in the synagogue. It just turned up. And after the usual readings from the books of Moses and from the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you've got any word of instruction for us, come and give it. So Paul stood, waved a greeting to them, and began. Men of Israel, he said, and all others here who reverence God, let me begin by giving you some history, your history. Well, it becomes quite a few passages of scripture, but begins to speak of the entire history from Abraham right through to Jesus. That's the whole point of these Jewish Christians, Paul and Barnabas and the apostles. They would take what the Old Testament wrote, which was all about Jesus coming. But where their highlight was the fact that he didn't just arrive, but that he was killed by them and that he rose from the dead. And that was the, the, the highlight, or the, that was the power of their message. A saviour to die for us and to rise from the dead. But he then further convicts them, or charges them, about Israel not only being the fulfilment of many of the other prophecies, but the fact of their condemning of Jesus their rejection of him as their Messiah. So that's a tough message. Paul also powerfully emphasises the full significance of the resurrection. So that got things moving. 
A week later, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of God, both Jews and many Gentiles. But when the Jewish leaders saw the crowds, they got jealous. And they cursed and argued against whatever Paul said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared. We're down into verse 44 now. It was necessary that this good news from God should be given first to you Jews. But since you've rejected it and chosen to deny eternal life, well, we will offer it to Gentiles as a light to them to lead them from the farthest corners of the earth to God's salvation. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. And after Paul continued to preach with emphasis about believing in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, Many Jews chose to remain in denial. The challenge has to be made, but you believe or you don't. But those who truly believed began to lay a foundation and build their lives upon this and to live within the resurrection life of Jesus. You don't preach about the resurrection to say, I'd like you to know this, this is a wonderful historical fact. No, it is a here and now reality. So what does it mean to believe? That's what I want to talk about today. Everyone believes in something. It's their reality. Paul and Stephen and Peter made the resurrection paramount as a stunning event which was going to change all of history and the subsequent universal reality of the world. It is the reality that we now live in as the reality of all realities. That there is a man in heaven who's God, who's been raised from the dead and who wants to live in us. You can say, well, I don't believe it. Okay, don't believe it. But that is the reality. And that was the challenge. So not only was it there for, to shape history in all of the universe, but it is there to shape the spirituality and the philosophy of human thinking and behaviour and it needs to be embraced in all of its beauty and its power. It cannot just remain a footnote in history. Recited, quoted, I believe in the resurrection, or even supported by other historical writings as if it's just enough to believe it happened. No. The truth of the resurrection is that the resurrected life of Jesus is alive in me and wants to be expressed through me. Many Christians and churchgoers have believed in the resurrection. But that's not the same as believing on. You can believe in Jesus and you can also believe on. 
That got me thinking last week. I saw there were two believings. Better pray about this. Why should a preposition make a difference? What, I mean, what is a believer? When I've been in the United States and had conversations with, with people, people that I don't even know, but people that I'm introduced to and meet and so on, and if the situation or the conversation gets around to talking about God, time and time again, this is what gets said. I hear somebody say, well, I'm a believer. Are you a believer? And I say, yes, I'm a believer. And I think to myself, I never hear that in Australia. <laughs> Nobody says to me, I'm a believer. It's like you don't say it. But I think, hey, what is the believing about? Is it enough just to say it? Believing in, believing on. Now, believing in is essential. It comes first. It means accepting something is true and not denying it. The Greek word is en, in. If you believe in something, you can at least receive something from that truth or ideology. Remember, everybody believes in something. And you can even make it a very important thing in your life. In the Gospels, many times it's mentioned, believe in. But then when you get to the epistles, it changes. Or actually, when you get to the book of Acts, it changes to believe on. All right? I read John 3.15 in the Gospel. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's a good start. You believe in. But believing on is another Greek word. It is epi, E-P-I. It's a, a primary preposition properly meaning superimposing something. Epi, it's like, it's, it's everywhere, it's all around you and it's upon you. And it's a superimposition that superimposes from us our life upon someone or something as a belief system. We say, I'm believing on that and I'm in that. Believing on. Now, I can believe in many things. And I do. I believe there's some great things, truths, that you learn through life. And you believe in them. But what I believe on will shape my life. It's something we merge into with our life and it merges into us and it lives out through us. And it's not there in the Gospels. I looked and I looked. It only starts in the book of Acts. Here it speaks about belief. And being ordained now to live 
the eternal life. That's not just going to heaven. That's beginning to live this life. So it starts in the book of Acts and it continues through into the epistles and it's a different kind of believing. In Acts chapter 16, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In other words, it restores your soul. Peter says, Receive the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls, that you start to become changed in what you're expressing through your life starts to come from a different source, a spiritual source of God's truth, and your soul starts to get saved from all the other kind of, kind of intense beliefs that have caused a whole lot of decisions here and there that maybe you're regretting that you made, but nonetheless, there's always time to learn under here. And so this is believing on. Now, essentially, we are spirit beings. I think you'd believe that. And we must accurately and faithfully believe from our spirit, which is created in the image of God in eternity. You had no say in it. You were created in God's image. Our spirit was created as a uniquely and individually designed self by God. There's no other you. Our spirit contains our mind and our heart. Our mind can receive truth from God. And our heart can receive faith to believe on him. Our mind can believe in him. But our heart can be shown how to believe on him. With the heart man believes. We express that spirit life through our souls. And our spirit is able to shape our souls. But our souls are also formed as the expression of emotional responses to what happens around us, by other belief systems, ideologies, imaginations that make an impression on us. There's a lot of them around, would you say, today? Now, these soul activities can drive our decision-making and shape our character. But our soul should not be running the show. The soul is not there to run our life. Our spirit was created for that. To take the lead in our life and it has the responsibility to ordain itself to the truth about eternal life above any other belief system or ideology. It's ordained for you to arrange your life out of that reality. The soul also expresses God-given gifts and talents and unique personality, uh, individual beauty and flavour and colour and sound that makes you, you. Soul is a beautiful repository for these things. The soul's emotions, because the, the soul's got emotions and it's got a will to choose 
and it's got a mind to listen to things, to know, and to learn. But the emotions in the soul can drive us into wrong thinking and wrong choices. You know how you want to do something, but emotionally you just explode instead? I meant to tell you how much I appreciated you, but I didn't think you were really paying any attention to me. So that got in first and I got mad. <laughs> if the soul gets to emote, the word emotions comes from the word emote, to move things. If the soul's emotions move you into action, then a disordered emotional soul leads to a disordered action. <laughs> if the soul takes the lead in our lives, it causes us to get overloaded with the burdens of all the distress and suffering that we experience in life. It's got to be somewhere. Our focused, purposeful spirit was created to take the lead in our life and it has the responsibility, your spirit, you know that. You know when you're you, don't you? And I know when the other part of me wants to come in and take over. <laughs> Hang on. That's life. But if our spirit can take the lead, it can live above any other kind of mindset or belief system that has caused consequences, regrettable ones perhaps, or unnecessary. But when our spirit takes the lead, there's only one thing that the spirit, our spirit, in taking the lead from the truth that it knows about what its universal truth is of Jesus, it always, its, it's homing reflex is to follow a greater leader. That's what it wants. It knows there's a greater leader, one that's held in our highest regard. And our spirit wants to be one with the ideas and the desires of that leader. Don't you think that would be a lovely life? To be at one in harmony? That leader is Jesus. Our human spirit deep down longs to be understood, be revealed to others as being real and being believed in. When you know that you're with the one that you're following, then the ones that you're with, you're able to bless and strengthen and you're able to be glad you're alive. Today I want to just encourage you, let your spirit take leadership over your soul coming alive and teaching the soul what to believe. David spoke to his soul all the time. He rejoiced in the things of truth that caused him to, to feel transformed. We can say to any kind of soulish belief systems or ideologies that they stand aside for the heart of faith in the spirit that you now say, this is mine. I'm superimposed on this, I'm in it, and it's in me. I mean, that's on offer. That's what the Gospels preach for. That's why they intensely brought this 
focus upon the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't say, it really happened, it really happened. They said, it is really happening, it's really happening. Do you want to get on board? Allow yourself to express what comes from your spirit, being attached with Jesus to come through your soul life. It's one good thing about growing old. And you look at all the times that could have done it this way, could have done it that way, but I did the best I could. And you know what God says? I know you did the best you could. I'm not condemning you for that. But what I'm saying now is, if you're getting a hold of something that's bigger and better and deeper and stronger and will last forever, um, take that. You, you know, with, with older people, I won't say old people, I'm not an old person, I'm an older person. But with old people it's often, um, how can I add more years to my life? Well, now what I say to them, don't worry about that. Add more life to your years. And you will live longer and you'll know where you're coming from. David led with his spirit in bringing God's blessing upon his soul. We read about it in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. See, he spoke to his soul. It says he encouraged his soul. Every one of us knows the difference between our spirit and our soul. You know when it's really you or something that's a fog of the way you've been driven, pushed emotionally or whatever, or circumstantially. Ah, you're in charge. I'm speaking to your spirit today. This is what David said. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget all his goodness to you. He forgives all your failures, heals all your afflictions, redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. There's an Old Testament fella. Look what we've got. Amen. Bible says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You think... Doesn't God just pull us to him? Why doesn't he do it first? Well, he's doing it all the time. We draw near to him in order to get into a place of receiving what he's been doing all the time. It's only when we turn and say, I think I'll draw near to that and give myself a few moments like we're doing now to think and ponder upon this reality. That's drawing near. And then all of a sudden we come into that place where God says, I've been waiting for you. And that's as he draws near. And you think, oh, why didn't you draw near before? He said, I've always been here, but where have you been? He's here now because you're drawing near. is David saying that as the deer thirsts for the waters 
so my soul longs after you. This is David speaking to his soul again. That's what your soul needs. Let it have that today. The thirsty soul is signaling an emotional thirst. It's more than water. When Jesus met the woman at the well, he spoke to her about the water that she could drink she'd never thirst again because she had emotional problems, relational. Five husbands and the one she was with wasn't her husband. But she had a seeking heart. She met the man. She met Jesus. He said, I've got water that your soul can drink. And emotionally you'll become balanced, peaceful and harmonious changed her life. Spiritual hunger is a different thing. It, it needs food. It needs the word to eat upon the bread of life. It begins to give you strength in your faith. Let your soul be filled and satisfied today. Let the emotional thirst be satisfied and the hunger to know and believe. Let that be fulfilled in your soul. for those things you receive them. This is not a difficult thing to do. The difficult thing is to give yourself time to do it. Because your soul is pushing you in a thousand different directions at once with 10,000 thoughts a minute. With problems. But what this does, it diverts your thinking from those things to the fact that God is at work now. Jesus is doing something upon you. believing on him. He's doing something in you and upon you. That's the struggle, is giving God that time. The other struggle he takes care of. He heals the burden. 